0: Welcome to This Week Explained. I'm Tiana, and I'm joined by Kirvin, our illustrious (laughs) co-host. Hi. eh, Hi. In this podcast, we'll be diving into all those major geopolitical events and stories from, you know, this past week. We need to get started. (laughs) Sorted.
1: I'm not even drinking today. (laughs) We need to get sorted, for sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah, we need to get sorted and storted. So yes. what's on your radar this week?
1: Well, it's going to sound like not a lot is going on, but uh, the exact opposite is true. A lot of things happen this week, um, especially definitely in, in our wheelhouse here. Uh, as always, we'll start with Russia and Ukraine, um, but I would like to get into the uh, the boss of the Wagner group who is looking to jo- to lead one of the political parties in Russia before the 2024 elections. Um, we'll start to discuss the exercises that China finished up this week in the South China Sea. There was also a, um, a little bit of a standoff between Taiwan and China during the exercises. After we do that, speaking about conflict in the South China Sea, Israel prepares for war this year in 2023 they are getting their troops ready um, and we'll talk about who they're looking to attack and it would be a preemptive strike and then we're gonna probably spend about seven hours today talking about the big intelligence leak what what was the leak we won't get into the exact documents that would that were leaked but kind of sort you know sort of what kind of information that's unclassified that came out and whether it's a big deal or not. And then we've got breaking news. Uh, well, we'll be breaking when everybody hears it because this will be coming out on Friday. But uh, we'll get into some of the breaking news of what happened on today, Thursday, the 13th of April, where lots of reports came out and the FBI uh, raided a residence in Massachusetts because of this intelligence leak.
0: Oh, OK. Well, I can attest to it being um, breaking news for us because you changed everything multiple times today.
1: Yes, <laughs> six times today I've changed what yeah. we were talking about. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, let's go with the talking points in this one, the final, the final draft. So, what is the big news coming out of the war in Ukraine?
1: Well, I'm going to keep it really brief for uh, for the war in Ukraine because um, the front lines remain fairly unchanged through the week. And we're going to talk a lot about the war when we discuss the intelligence leak. So a lot of stuff came out during that leak. Um, so I'm going to say the big takeaway from this week is that uh, Russia reported it had launched an intercontinental ballistic missile. Uh, The Russian Ministry of Defense stated that the purpose of the launch was to test advanced combat equipment for intercontinental ballistic missiles and to confirm the accuracy of the design and technical solutions used in the development of those missile systems. Um, The training warhead of the missile actually reportedly hit its target at a test site in Kazakhstan.
0: So how does this missile launch affect the geopolitical landscape, particularly in terms of relations between Russia and other countries?
1: Well, first, the test comes just weeks after Putin suspended participation in the New START treaty, uh, which we had discussed in previous episodes. So the the missile test is seen by the United States as another instance of Russia stepping up nuclear tensions. Now, that missile launch could very well increase tensions and lead to concerns about what we've been talking about, which is a new arms race globally. Uh, potentially leading to diplomatic repercussions.
0: Well, can you explain what the diplomatic repercussions could possibly be?
1: Yeah, those repercussions from that missile launch are uh, pro- the potentially could include increased scrutiny of Russia's military activities and intentions, uh, as well as concerns about international security. Obviously, uh, with risk of a new arms race. So, other countries, this outside of the U.S., may perceive the missile launch as a threat to their own security. Interest, And that does also lead to increased tensions and strained diplomatic relations between those countries. Um, Also, it it could in turn lead to calls for increased military spending in those countries, uh, as well as the U.S., and also the deployment of defensive systems near Russia, which could lead to tensions. Uh,
0: If you say tensions one more time.
1: (laughs) Well, it's tense in here. Uh, let me uh, let me try to find different words. Yeah, but um, so the the missile launches has the possibility to derail peace negotiations. Uh, so those are those peace negotiations that China's been trying to to promote. Um, it could also undermine existing security agreements between Russia and other countries. Um, but all of this is going to depend on how other countries interpret and, response to, and respond to the missile launch. Uh, right now, we just don't have a credible answer to that question.
0: Okay, then moving on to the next topic, let's stay in Russia and talk the 2024 elections. You have mentioned a few times on this podcast, and for sure, from what I can remember, once in the weekly newsletter, that yeah. Wagner group leader Yevgeny Prigozhin maybe positioning himself as an alternative to Putin. I bet he's not too happy about that. <laughs> Putin isn't. Yeah. What is going on? What is the update there?
1: Yeah, so let's start with the fact that Yevgeny Prigozhin is a Russian businessman and oligarch. He's also leader of the Wagner Group. Um, right. He's been Putin's right-hand man, especially in foreign affairs. So one of his most notorious activities has been Uh, the operation of the Internet Research Agency. That's a troll farm based in St. Petersburg. They've been implicated in a wide range of disinformation and propaganda campaigns. Uh, The IRA was responsible for creating fake social media accounts and posting divisive content in an effort to influence public opinion in Russia and abroad. That's both for the invasion of Ukraine and also foreign elections of other countries. Now, in addition to these activities, what we've spoken about on this podcast multiple times because, because uh, I was there and I've seen it firsthand. Uh, is he has links to a number of other shady enterprises, including an arms trafficking and mercenary operation in Africa.
0: So you said he and Putin have been close allies. Does this new political ambition change all that?
1: Uh, I mean, the short answer is yes. So that oh, okay, that close relationship was already strained, um, and that's probably the reason why he now has political aspirations. Um, Prigochin has been expanding his business interests and reportedly became involved in various foreign military campaigns. He's been involved in Syria, in Libya, other places around Africa. Um, some reports suggest that this may have led to tensions with Putin and other members of the Russian leadership. They were very wary of Progochin's growing influence, especially within Russia.
0: Well, what can you tell us about his political ambitions?
1: Um, He's a lot like a Trump figure, I would say. So he sees himself as a power broker and a kingmaker in Russian politics. Um, he's been linked to a number of pro-Kremlin political parties and figures. I want to say the what I say is he's kind of like a Trump figure. It's not something I'm saying in a negative terminology. It's just that yeah. he sees himself as a kingmaker. He, he's right. a winner. He doesn't lose. Yeah. Um, that's definitely how... Trump, Trump sees, sees himself, himself in, in the right. U.S.
0: That confidence.
1: Yeah, very confident. He could,
0: he could give me a little bit of that, just a <laughs> yeah. little bit.
1: I don't know if that's the kind of confidence you, you're wanting He's right asking now.
0: asking to think I can like make or break somebody just to make it so where I can accept a compliment without squirming. That yeah. would be cool. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so um, without the support of Putin and without the support of Putin's inner circle, it's going to be very difficult for Progochin to effectively promote candidates. Um, so the theory now is that he's uh, he says, I'm not promoting any more candidates. He's going to be the face of the uh, of one of the Russian political parties, which is called a Just Russia for Truth party.
0: Right, I'm sure. I'm Very sure.
1: straight and to the point.
0: Yeah, well, okay. And possibly so a lie. <laughs> yeah, possibly, possibly a lie. <laughs>
1: we'll get, well, I guess...
0: Well, what do you know about that political party? Because one thing I've learned other um, countries when they name their political parties, it doesn't necessarily align with what their actual viewpoints are or what their platforms are. the
1: People's Republic. Yeah. Yeah. So a just Russia for truth uh, is a combination of multiple now defunct political parties within Russia. Just how the power playing played out. Um, And it's. So they're known to support three things uh, heavily. So that's democratic socialism, nationalism, which if we if we think about it in the terms of the United States, those two things do not go together in the United States. Right. You don't see democratic socialist and nationalist working together. Correct. Um, but it is very common in Russia for this. Hey. And they also support Eurasianism, which means uh, that they don't view Russia as European or Asian. But they view Russia as its own civilization, its own continent. Right. Now, um, it did get voted out of the Socialist International, which is a group trying to promote democratic socialism globally. Like I said, democratic socialism within Russia being aligned with nationalism, it's got to be different.
0: Yeah, it's a little different.
1: Um, And that was all based off of the uh, adjust Russia for truth voting in favor of the invasion of Ukraine.
0: So uh, how have they fared in the last few presidential elections?
1: Well, in uh, 2012, they came in last place with okay. just under 4% of the vote. Um So
0: more than Connor is more, getting. I was Connor say Roy. That. <laughs> more than what Connor Roy is getting. Yes. In succession.
1: What what is less than 1%, isn't that? <laughs> <laughs> He There's can't less go lower than, than one percent. <laughs> yeah, we're big secession fans. I uh, highly recommend that show. And yeah, no spoilers you here.
0: No, none. That's it. That's all we're saying. The end. Um,
1: but in uh, 2018, that group, after some infighting, decided not to participate in the election because they knew they would not win. Um, and so they backed Putin in the 2018 election.
0: Well, do you think Pregochin has a shot at winning, Gusta?
1: Okay, I don't. Right now, like I don't okay. think he's going to win in 2024, and I don't think that's what his intentions are right now.
0: He's got to build a base.
1: So yeah, so yeah, my analysis—you've got it. My analysis of the situation is that he is positioning himself to take over during the next election cycle.
0: Okay, so 2028.
1: Yes, and we're going to see that start to play out in 2024. Yeah. Um, now we all know Russian elections are not really a democratic election. Uh, even though that's the case, they do hold importance for Putin's regime, which values the appearance of democracy. Uh, So Russia's political system is vulnerable during elections, any election, and that's heightened because of the war in Ukraine. That war in Ukraine is a test of the unity of Russia's political elite, and the election could go several ways depending on the battlefield situation. So if, if the invasion is faring well, the election will actually be a chance to rally support for Putin, uh, but significant setbacks are going to lead to intra-elite infighting. So we've got all, a lot of these elites fighting with each other, and they might. It, Putin could just postpone the election if that happens. Oh wow, uh, that's is something to look for in 2024. So, and and that's why I think that uh, the 2024 election is going to be a, a huge historical turning point, not just in Russia. There's multiple elections happening in 2024. Um, but just sticking, sticking with Russia in 2024, it could lead to a future election of someone. And we talk about Yelena Prigozhin, and maybe you think, well, Putin might lose and we got a new guy in there. I'm going to tell you right now, he is less diplomatic than Putin is. That is the kind of guy I'm talking about that could be worse than Putin.
0: Oh gosh. Well, changing gears just a little bit. Let's get to China. (laughs) Which just completed a three-day military exercise coinciding with the Taiwanese president meeting with U.S. Speaker of the House McCarthy, which we all saw that coming. Yeah. We, We touched on this a little bit last week, but do you have any updates on what China's intent was? And maybe could you get into some of the standoff that occurred between Chinese and Taiwanese naval vessels?
1: Yeah, so it's evident that China's intent with the joint sword exercise that they participated in was to demonstrate its military capabilities and readiness to respond to any perceived threats to its sovereignty over Taiwan. Um, That perceived threat was the Taiwanese president meeting with a high-level U.S. official in the United States. Um, So here's what happened. So the exercises, they simulated a blockade of Taiwan which could be seen as a warning to Taiwan and its allies, uh, but it's definitely a show of strength to the international community that they're able to do this. And so that simulation, it would be, so that's the first hint in the future that China is moving to invade Taiwan. Uh They begin to blockade parts of Taiwan. Um, And it's honestly, it's most likely going to come in the form of a similar exercise, but that exercise is going to end and they will invade Taiwan. So that's a little insider on what to be looking for. Now, Taiwan has responded by reinforcing its own military readiness, and it's closely monitoring China's military movements. Also, the U.S. and Japan obviously expressing concerns over China's military activities. Um, but on the same note, Russia came out and expressed support. It says China's got a right to conduct military exercises in response to perceived threats. So everything's playing out like it's supposed to.
0: Well, during these drills, there was a standoff. So what do you know about that, and what are the implications?
1: Right, you asked about that. Um, So according to open source information, a standoff occurred between 10 Chinese and 10 Taiwanese ships near Taiwan Straits median line, so not crossing the line there. It kind of serves as a buffer zone between the two countries. Now, satellite imagery... All, uh, actually, showed Taiwanese naval and Coast Guard vessels blocking Chinese warships from entering Taiwan's territorial sea during the final day of those military drills. Um, I'm going to just say that countries need to trade caref- carefully here. Uh, this could be viewed by China's provocative act. You get to defend yourself. I'm not saying don't defend yourself, um, but this could escalate to a conflict if the wrong move happens. Thank um, you
0: for not saying tension
1: again. <laughs> I'm trying. trying not to use the same word 7,000 times. But it's better for the SEO if I do use, just keep using tensions and then put that for the Google search. Ay, ay, So I'll just say like six more times and we'll be good. Okay.
0: I'll, I'll allow you six more times. All
1: right. Okay. Um, well, going on with, you know, China did these exercises. Well, the U.S. is also performing its own naval drills in the region. Um, that is as a deterrent to Chinese aggression. So, like I said, one false move could could lead to... I keep saying this, we're getting into a conflict, whether it's 2025, 2030, 2040, conflict yeah. is coming, but this could lead to an early conflict that none of the countries are prepared for.
0: Well, let's go from one potential war to another. The Middle East is in flux, and Israel is preparing for war. Uh, is there any hope of de-escalation in this conflict?
1: Well, Israel has a very long history of being proactive in its approach to security. Um, And so this, I think, is them taking measures to deter potential aggressors from attacking. So there's always a chance for de-escalation. But I think as of right now, the possibility of that diminishes every day. Uh, This week, Hamas launched a large-scale rocket attack from southern Lebanon into Israel, Uh, And that was with the approval and encouragement of Iran, as well as Lebanese Hezbollah. So you've got Hamas within Israel. You've Uh got Iran. And now you have Lebanon with Lebanese Hezbollah, all surrounding Israel. Uh, And this is all part of an ongoing escalation between Iran and Israel, because Iran wants nuclear weapons. So Israel sees itself. And this might sound very familiar to people when we discuss the, the whole Russian Uh, why Russia invaded uh, Ukraine and what they said they did. They did that uh, because Israel sees itself as being surrounded by its enemies. And so they want to take a preemptive strike against one, if not all of its neighbors.
0: Would the U.S. get involved in a conflict between Israel and Iran?
1: So Israel said that they would go alone if they have to. um, And the first instinct of the U.S. government will probably be to get involved as much as they are involved in the war in Ukraine. Uh, which is sending money and equipment, possibly special operations forces, uh, but kind of keeping the conventional military forces and equipment out of the conflict. If Iran sees successes or, let's say, China gets involved, the U.S. is going to step in. They're going to have to be in there and protect its interests. Um, those interests are keeping Israel secure.
0: Well, that does make sense. And I, for one, definitely hope for a de-escalation as the best solution yes. But for now, let's move to the next hot topic of the week, the massive intelligence leak. I know you had a lot to say about this, so let's just start from the beginning. What happened?
1: Okay. What happened? So, I think we're still trying to figure that out. Uh, not everybody. There are some people that are out there saying they know everything that's going uh-huh. on. That's absolutely false. Yeah. Uh, I could tell you I'm still digging into a lot of what's happened, but- from all available reports, the documents totaled over 100 documents with varying forms of classifications. And I, I want to take a moment right here and caution everybody, everyone listening, I caution myself this every day when dealing with classified document leak. It is unwise to share those documents further. And this is not some deep state thing. I'm not deep state yeah. U.S. government. the The documents, even though they have been published and released they are still classified and sharing those may make it's not I'm not talking about sharing those is going to be a threat to national security no it's going to be a threat to you because you are going to start being questioned by various intelligence agencies and you do not want that spotlight on you yeah Um, leave that to other leave that to the journalists who are doing this because uh, they're prepared to be arrested that's just part of training that they go through. Also, um, even though the media is putting out these headlines, uh, these are some that I've seen. Biggest intelligence leak in decades. Uh, U.S. is spying on unwitting allies. The the truth is most of the information in the documents are no... I, we talked about it on the podcast. You know, the, All government officials know this stuff. It's not breaking news. The, the fact that the U.S. spies on its allies and vice versa, that other countries spy on the U.S., it's, yeah, it's not breaking news. We know this.
0: Yeah. So what are some of the big takeaways and why is it important?
1: I'd say the main takeaway is how the intelligence community was briefing the war in Ukraine. Um, most analysts believe that Ukraine is losing the war. So that's most the people in the U.S. intelligence community. That's not news flash. If you're an unbiased observer of the situation um, or if you're listening to this show, we talk about it a lot. Um They also said that the U.S. intelligence community lacked confidence. Remember we talked about the spring counteroffensive? U.S. intelligence lacked confidence that that was actually going to work in Crimea. Um, I think those are the two most telling pieces of intelligence for people, uh, for for like civilian people.
0: So is there anything in those reports that shocked you? I mean, I imagine you can't really tell us (laughs) if it shocked you.
1: Uh, n- Yeah, I-, I couldn't tell you, but I will be 100% honest here. Nothing in it shocked me. There is nothing in the okay. reports. And and this is, uh, I-, I can say I don't have access to a lot of the stuff. I don't have a lot of the caveats I used to when I was younger um, yeah. and into this. But a lot of this stuff was already um, open source. and uh, And I think I'm going to put together something that just tells why things are classified, even though the wording is out there there are other reasons why the U.S. government classifies something. Um, So like I've said many a times, if you've listened to this podcast, you already knew most of this stuff. I say the big issue is that the documents were leaked and they remained that way for months. So apparently in January of this year, that was the first release of some of these documents.
0: And we're just now hearing about it. Yes. Um,
1: That is concerning that the intelligence community was in the dark, that they didn't know it. I'm also going to say um, so there was an independent journalist who actually had this story in February, uncovered the documents, and he tried to get the New York Times or the Washington Post to run it, or at the very least investigate it, and they refused. And now we're seeing that they're leading the reporting on investigating the person that leaked it. So,
0: But why? Were they concerned the Biden administration will retaliate, or just... Not, that
1: doesn't make not any that sense. Not that I can tell. Um, there are they said they were concerned it wasn't verified. So it's sort of the similar thing with the that's Hunter.
0: That's their job. They yeah. could have figured it out if it was. <laughs>
1: um, it's so if you remember the Hunter Biden laptop story, it was, oh, hey, that yes. wasn't verified. So we're going right. to just squash it. It's uh-huh. similar to that. I'm not talking deep state stuff. I'm just saying a journalist looked at the stuff and said, nah, I, I, that, that's not important to me. Now it's important because it's become a big thing. So then Bellingcat released their report and the media jumped on it. Um, So I believe there are two things at play here. One, the media is very leery of releasing an article without definite confirmation because of this misinformation and disinformation talk that we have on a daily basis. They're scared to be labeled as misinformation. Hey, that's good. You know, make sure you are vetting your sources. But I also think that the mainstream or or the new term for them now is the legacy media is really snobby. They are very snobby towards independent journalists, independent researchers. That arrogant attitude has hurt places like the New York Times and the Washington Post.
0: I'm going to go with the arrogant attitude. That's what I think. Yeah, well. That's what I think informed their decision. I can
1: stand on this soapbox forever. You know me. Well,
0: okay, but not to pull the soapbox out from under you, as you love to pontificate about the media. But we need to get on topic here, okay?
1: Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability, and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.
0: So, the main question I was wondering was, who released these documents? Or what country played a vital role in getting these documents out there?
1: That's a great question both parts of that question so um, there's tons of conspiracy theories obviously there's always going to be conspiracy theories and regular theories honestly not everything's a conspiracy theory just because you think it's crazy Um, some of these are very regular theories Uh, I do want to whittle it down to like three theories that make the most sense to me Uh, one thing that we think we know is a young man from the Air National Guard and I say young because he's 21 years old
0: Oh my god, he's a baby. Yes,
1: he's a baby. Um he leaked the classified documents. What what we're kind of seeing right now is uh he, he re- allegedly. I'm going to keep saying allegedly because it's all with no legal until statement. Yes. No legal <laughs> statement has come out, and I do hope that uh, people can actually talk to him and get the story behind this. I really do hope that's true. And there's going to be tons of open source investigators who are going to investigate since his name is out now investigate right. him and, okay. and kind of piece this together so waiting for all that to come out but he allegedly revealed the documents to a small group of approximately two dozen uh, and I'm going to use Washington Post words here I don't like it um, but they said gun enthusiasts on discord they didn't give any reason why but with with the mass shootings that are happening in the US they
0: that has one doesn't have anything to do exactly. with the other but they wanted <laughs> to
1: highlight that of um, course
0: they do.
1: Now, like I'm saying, we, as we were recording, we don't know this information to be true. What we have learned uh if it is true, is he's twenty one, he was in a group of gamers, online gamers, who are between like fifteen and seventeen, and he was their leader because he oh was Oh my gosh. He was he was to quote some of them much older than us.
0: Oh shut up.
1: <laughs> so I'll leave that at there. <laughs> Yeah. I, I, I'll i go on by saying the Washington Post article is terrible Okay, um, I've read it it's behind a paywall I think very the skewed ne- the, 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 yeah don't <laughs> pay to, to read the article the New York Times article is actually opened to the public and with Bellingcat but there's also some issues with that um, and I think one of the issues is that the New York Times came out and named the individual before the FBI could get there that's wrong you don't do that
0: yeah
1: um the so those articles are definitely gonna lead and it already is it's already blasted all over Twitter there's these deep state conspiracies because the Washington Post claims the leaker is a racist anti-semitic gun enthusiast they, they say that based on a video that the author of the article says he saw but won't release oh so right we don't know If you release the video, there's supposed to be a video of the guy in question at a gun range and he says some racist, anti-Semitic stuff and then fires his weapon off. Now, could that be true? Definitely. I mean, we see those videos all the time. You can find videos from anybody doing stupid stuff like that. Just unconscionable stuff. But we don't know because they won't release that video. Um, The New York Times, and I've talked about that article being pretty bad too, they claim the group that he was in centered around quote a love of guns racist memes and violent video games
0: oh we're playing that angle now yes. too okay gotcha now i'm not saying
1: i want to say again i'm not saying that the leaker isn't these things um but when you when like what's a racist meme I mean, there yeah. are some legitimate racist memes of but course. there are also some off color memes that You know, oh, that's not really PC, but I wouldn't really call it racist. Uh, And then you say, well, that's a racist dog whistle. Well, okay. well, now you're moving the goalpost. Okay. Not saying that their their memes aren't racist. They might have been. I haven't seen it yet. If I do see that, you call a spade a spade. If there is racist memes, I'll say those are racist memes. But this article in both of these articles in question scream to me from sort of like a publicist. Here's your narrative. Go write the article. You mean it's a person who leaked this, and that person has an agenda for sure, right? The person who leaked it probably has an agenda. I've I've just read in another article, uh, more of a I guess this more of a, a right wing article, is that the uh, leaker was anti-war, it was very Christian and anti-war, which is the ah. exact opposite of what you would think. This group that loves guns, racist memes and violent video games would be they they wouldn't be anti-war and sort of peacekeeping so but, yeah just basically
0: so. we don't know what his agenda is yet we're just going on what the reporters are saying yep. you know they're not releasing any proof yeah they're trying why.
1: to they're trying to lead that this was some sort of alt-right leader pro-russian right. um oh. and that's not what it was well he as was far not as pro- we know as of right well right if he, he may have been pro russian but if he's not if he's anti-war then he's not pro russian with the war in ukraine so
0: yeah that's true we so. just need
1: so we just need to to kind of take a step back let the information come out read through it and then start to discuss what what may have happened instead of automatically making uh, comments on it
0: okay well oh, let's yeah. run through yeah. uh, Well, no My, I was checking my. I forgot we didn't even get to the theories
1: that. Yeah. So,
0: well, let's get to those theories because you have a couple of them.
1: I was getting ready to end this thing, but uh, yeah, there are. So, I'm going to start by saying that all these theories revolve around an unknown. So, within intelligence analysis, you have the known knowns, the known unknowns, and then the unknown unknowns. And here are some of the known unknowns. Uh, So these theories all present the leaker or leakers as patsies in a global conflict. So the person in question, a lot of the theories, and some of my thinking is this person was used by either, you know, one government or another in order to release these documents. Um, So, but that's it. First theory, it was Russia. Obviously, everybody's going to first, first one is Russia.
0: Of course, point a finger to them. Yep,
1: Yep, because there are reports that some of the figures about the war in Ukraine that were released were altered in favor of the Russian military. So getting the information out there about the Ukrainian counteroffensive lends some credence to that theory as well. Um, And honestly, it could be a plausible theory. Uh, Russia is known for getting some of these documents or, or infiltrating the U.S. intelligence community and having those people release documents like this. So here's how it would happen. The way it would work is someone within the U.S. intelligence community was tasked by Russia to smuggle out these documents and then release them across channels like 4chan and Discord.
0: I mean that makes sense, but wouldn't there I don't know be an IP address or something like that that? Yeah, would...
1: so you are exactly right, um, and that is really how they found the or the leaker that they think they have in custody now.
0: Okay, is so through
1: I... his IP address. Um
0: they'll be able to figure out whether or not he has ties to Russia or not.
1: That's that's right. why I'm calling on our incredible like, open source investigators. Right. To begin okay. the investigations.
0: Well, with all the information about the war in Ukraine and the possibility that some of it was altered, what what is the what's another theory besides that?
1: So the other theory, there's the deep state theory. Oh, there we go! Uh, the, if you the, say the,
0: "deep state" one more time, I'm, I'm
1: trying to get <laughs> trying to just, get us into Google.
0: <laughs> I'm kidding. We're there. We're oh, there. Oh, yeah. That's true.
1: Um, so that theory is that the U.S. purposefully released these documents in order to shift the focus from the recently proposed restrict act, or actually to help pass that bill.
0: Well, what is the Restrict Act? I already don't like the name of it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You're going to hate it, let me tell you.
0: (laughs) Oh, my God. So if this is true, why would it be so important for the U.S. to get this bill passed? I already know where this is going, but I'm going to ask the question anyways in case people aren't aren't sure. So why would it be important enough to release this classified information?
1: So let's start. The Restrict Act, you're going to hate everything about this. OK, it's a I'm going to put in quotes here, a bipartisan bill. And I put in quotes bipartisan because it is definitely if you're talking about the U.S. population, not bipartisan. It all came as it came about as a way to ban TikTok in the United States, which I'm in favor of. Right. Uh, I, I think because of Byte Dance, TikTok should be taken out of the U.S. and the U.S. and, and a U.S. social media entity should create something similar. Right. That doesn't do what when China does. Mark
0: Zuckerberg on it. Like, yeah, he's on he'll... everything else.
1: Hey, Be- Bezos- Add a
0: few more billions to news. does a Bezos
1: need a need a social media? Uh, oh, all the other billionaires have one.
0: I, oh, that's true.
1: So, okay. um, right. all right, we're going to digress from that.
0: Yeah, <laughs> please.
1: <laughs> so, as with anything in the U.S., a bill, for some god-awful reason, can't just say what it intends to do. Right. I- I firmly believe that it's because... Clear, a
0: concise language.
1: <laughs> the United States bans TikTok within borders of the United States. Done Period. deal.
0: Period. Period. Done. Okay. Hey, guys, okay, I here... did it. Here's the part that's going to tick me off. Let's... Yes. Um, okay.
1: Now, well, here's why I say that the U.S. can't do that. It's because a large majority of elected officials are lawyers. That was their first job. Then they got elected. So they got to put all this jargon into the bill, um, and a lot of the times that jargon is it to have them make money off of it while right. no one else. You know, the the rules for thee and not for me. It's because yeah. we have a bunch of lawyers running the, the country. They know it's how about to. about to make this an explicit episode.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Keep oh. going. Come on. All right. Get so nitty gritty of it.
1: Let's get into the bill. The Restrict Act is what it's called. And it would give the U.S. Commerce Department the power to identify and reduce any security risks posed by technology that has links to countries like China, North Korea, Iran, Russia, Cuba, and Venezuela. All the U.S. adversaries. But critics of the bill are concerned that individuals who try to use TikTok or other banned apps could face punishment, just like in those countries that they're trying to protect us from. This is what they do. If you go to, I don't know, let's say... Uh, if one of us had been in Yemen, you cannot access this stuff in Yemen or Iran or Cuba. Um, so, critics of the bill, like myself, are concerned about this. Right. Um,
0: they can ban whatever they want after yeah,
1: that. Yeah. Not even just just ban everything, but you can face punishment just yeah. for having it. Um, Which is
0: stupid.
1: So digital rights groups like the Electronic Frontier Foundation, um, also Fight for the Future, and the ACLU are all against this proposal. That, to me, is bipartisan. Right. Um, If those three groups are working together, that's pretty bipartisan. (laughs) Yeah. They get it. Yeah, that's because they think that um, the bill could punish people who use VPNs to access the banned apps. Um, A lot of times, like, um, you know, know, I know people who will try to find a movie or a sporting event, and they'll use a VPN in order to stream it from another country. They could go to jail for that now. So most critics that I have seen um, see the bill as what they call Patriot Act 2.0, or what I like to call it the Patriot Act on steroids. And I do think that this could lead to something similar to what we, you know, what you read in the novel 1984 or some dystopian future.
0: And since it gives the government more power to control things online, people are rightfully worried. That the officials in the U.S. would go to extreme measures to get it passed. That's why we have I need mean, to get all those old people out of there. Yes. I definitely see how how that could be possible. So what is the third theory?
1: Oh, my. We were only on the second theory. I was oh, too much going on. All right. So the final one, uh, and this is the one that I've actually been looking into the most because it makes the most sense to me. Um, but uh, this made the most sense to me before this came out of the alleged leaker uh it still kind of makes some sense to me that's the theory that china has someone within the intelligence community and um they had this person release the documents they could also have had somebody release the documents make it look like some young intel person trying to gain clout amongst their online friend group oh i had that theory before what came out today so
0: oh okay so why do you think that is more plausible
1: It's just really interesting to me that China's been on this kind of whirlwind tour of courting the United States' least loyal allies, like Saudi Arabia. Um, And this leak is a way to hurt America's credibility globally. Uh, Like I said, it doesn't have anything that's like, oh, I can't believe that. But it does, from a global population, hurt America's uh, credibility. So. Now you get these allies that look at the U.S. right now, and they're going to say, "Well, this is a crumbling empire. Um, they can't even keep its own secrets." You know, we got to shift. We got to shift to China. Got to protect ourselves. So if that's the case, it's working. That's happening all over social media. Um, it's the the leak is pulling the American focus away from China, towards infighting between the two main political parties. So depending on where you stand politically, you either think. This is some... All right, one more time. That's the last time I'll say it. You think it's some deep state smoke and mirrors, or you believe it's some pro-Russian propaganda that has no real credibility. Both of those work in China's favor. It just... This, this theory just makes so much sense because when they invade Taiwan, they're going to need to cut down the number of U.S. allies.
0: So you think this is working? If You're it's right. that theory, yeah. Yeah.
1: Right now it is. So Saudi Arabia shifted alliances Completely. Mexico's working to get involved financially in BRICS to get away from the dollar. Uh, multiple other Latin American countries have shifted from Taiwan to China. Even Europe. Talk about France. They're hopping on the China train. Um, the, the interesting thing to me and what I think those countries should be looking at is the closest countries in proximity to China, South Korea, Japan, are great friends in New Zealand. They are aligning more... With the U.S. So if I was a leader in Europe, I'd be looking at that and saying, you know, what do they know about China that we may be refusing to see?
0: And what do those countries know about China?
1: Well, they know it's an authoritarian regime. Um, they're going to take extreme measures to crush any nation opposed to its rule. So Those Asian Pacific countries, they they see this on a regular basis. This happens day in and day out. They're working to shore up alliances because they know what's coming. They know China's going to invade Taiwan. And they don't want to be the next country later on after that. And so that's the real message I think everyone should be focused on in all of this discussion.
0: Well, do you have anything else you'd like to discuss this week?
1: Well, if we could go on for hours about this, uh, this Intel leak, because um, I think people are focused on the wrong stuff. But we'll do that another time. Right now, we are definitely out of time for this week.
0: Okay, well, Thank you for listening to this humble little independent geopolitical podcast. We hope you found it informative and engaging. If you have any feedback or suggestions for future episodes, please let us know. And if you would like in-depth coverage of these stories and more, follow us on Instagram at com. And if you have a moment, swing by where you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review because those can help us get noticed by thousands of podcast listeners globally. And we appreciate it.
1: Do you want to do you wanna make a little statement? Um, so we figured out the date that we are going to go into the uh, Screen Echo podcast.
0: Oh, yeah. We, day.
1: we will be reviewing an older spy film. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know if we mentioned what it was, but I'll keep it a secret for now. Uh, uh, if we if we did on a previous it, episode you already then you already know and
0: <laughs> it's not a surprise and
1: if you don't know and we did do that on a previous episode go listen to every episode over again and see if if we did that but i, I will say i'm so Please excited do that. <laughs> i'm so excited to talk to Josh and Jacob about this movie uh, we're really excited we're going to do that monday night i don't I don't know when they'll release it probably that tuesday or whatever but uh, whatever the next episode we will let you guys know that it's out
0: know, yeah, this is my first guest spot on a podcast,
1: this but I only, fun.
0: I only agreed because they're our friends and
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a comfortable. You're in a it's safe good, space. Yeah,
0: it's good. Yeah, it's a safe space for me. Definitely for me. All well, right,
1: Tiana, I want to thank you so much, as always. But until next week, it's getting way di- way more difficult to do this. But please stay safe out there.